Well, thank you again for the opportunity to be with you all this morning as we were here last week. Uh, my name is Scott Gibson. If you weren't here or if you're new today, welcome. Uh, I'm uh, originally from Newcastle, Pennsylvania. My wife and I spend the summers there, and currently I'm teaching at Baylor University in Waco, Texas, or as some people say, Waco, Texas. Um, I had, had uh, the delight to be able to go to a number of different churches, whether as a guest uh, to attend or a guest preacher, and to uh, enjoy time there. And um, uh, one time when I was studying overseas, I was not preaching on this particular day, but I was um, spending this Sunday visiting a church. and went into the church, sat and enjoyed the service. And then afterwards, this couple, a Welsh family, came over to me and, and asked me if I'd like to come to their house and have dinner with them. I said, I'd love to do that. Um, so um, got to their house. And as I was at their house, they said, uh, I, I was single at the time. And so they said, would you go into the living room and, and would you mind uh, watching our boys for a few moments. They were boys, like the little boys that were up here, I don't know, three, four years old, wiggly, squiggly, jumpy type of boys. And so uh, one of the boys was climbing all over me as I was sitting in the chair. And finally he was straddled and, and looked at me in, and, and he said in his little Welsh voice, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from Pennsylvania. And he said, oh, you look like a pencil. God's word always has a, a point to it, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be able to share with you this morning the, the powerful point of God's word. Would you pray with me, please? Our gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you this day, by the power of your spirit and the wonder of your grace, work, work in our lives, work in our lives to the glory of your name. And would you, through the preaching of your word, be honored. Strengthen us and help us to listen well. In Christ's name, amen. What do you folks think about the, the kinds of shaped words that businesses often use? They're often called mission statements. What, what do you think about mission statements? Uh, mission statements for businesses give a, a focus, uh, give a, 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 a de definition. They, they provide a, a sense of unity. Uh, there's, there's something that they are working toward as, as a business. A, a restaurant uh, mission statement might be uh, good food and good service don't just happen by accident. An internet company uh, might say, our goal is simply the best internet experience. Usite, which is a website design company, it crows, our goal is to provide the best internet experience. But we could also ask that about churches. Uh, what would churches say as far as their own purpose statement, mission statement? Well, Eagle River Church in Alaska says, our goal is to provide the, uh, our goal is to be a great place for your family. 
Mount Zion Church in Alabama says, our goal is to preach, teach, and baptize all who will heed the word. The question is, what about you? What would you say is your goal? What would you say is your purpose statement? Uh, we know that the foundation uh, that we want to have as a, a, a being a, a wise guy is uh, that of uh, fearing God is the foundation for being a wise guy. But th the question for us is, as we settle for ourselves this covenantal bond that we have with God, this relationship that we recognize that God is God and that we are not, uh, what do we do with that? That is, where do we go from there? What happens after we do have a, a relationship established with God, that we have this relationship with Jesus Christ? Wh where do we go with that? Well, how do we build off of this God-fearing foundation? As a, as a person who wants to be wise, this is only the start of the journey of having this foundation. But what's next? What's the goal? What's your goal? The passage that we're looking at this morning helps us to answer that question. The passage is Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 to 29. That's Colossians 1, 28 to 29. And as I read this text, I'd like for you to ask yourself, what does this text tell us about the journey toward wisdom? What is our goal on this road to wisdom? What is our goal as a believer in Jesus Christ? Reading from Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse numbered 28. Paul, the apostle, writes, We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. So what is the goal that we want to achieve as wise men and wise women? Well, it, the text is underscoring this. Our goal is maturity. The biblical goal of the Christian life is that to, for us to be mature in Christ. Paul wanted these Christians here in Colossae, that he wanted them to be confident in where they stood before God so that at the end of time, as they stood before him, that they would be seen as men and women who would be mature, complete. Here's the apostle. He's, he's never met them personally. He, he's only heard about their faith, heard about how they have grown. He's been introduced to them by his son in the faith, Epaphras, who gave the gospel to them. And, and, and he had a deep concern for these believers. He heard about their faith. We, we see that in, in chapter 1, verses 3 and 7, and, and chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. He heard about their faith, and yet, as they had come from a, a non-believing background, a, a, a pagan background, he wanted them to know God in Christ and to move forward in their faith. Now that they had that foundation, 
He wanted them to move forward. Now, these men and women who have come to faith here in Colossae, he did not want them simply to believe in Jesus, but to move forward in Jesus, to move forward in maturity, to move forward in wisdom. Uh, one of the things that he wanted them to, to do is to live wisely. He prays that in, in chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. And even though the central message that Paul has for these believers is the gospel, the life, death, burial, resurrection, and return of Christ, that they would embrace that, know that, live it, he wanted them to develop in Christian maturity. That was the goal. The New International Version from which I read this morning translates that word in verse 28 that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Uh, that word can also be translated as mature or complete. And, and men and women then are not supposed to uh, stay where they are. That is, come to faith, recognize that they have faith in a foundation as they fear God. They have this covenantal relationship. But they are not to stay as an infant, but to grow toward maturity. The biblical goal then, for all of us as Christians, is to be mature in Christ. Now there's a general expectation then, isn't there, in, that uh, growth will happen in a number of different uh, ways. Uh, if you plant a seed, you expect it to grow. If you've worked on a, a dough for a loaf of bread and you get it to rise and you stick it in the oven, you expect that it's going to come out as a loaf of bread, not a Twinkie. When a baby is born, the expectation is that this little one will grow into a full adulthood. That's what Paul is getting at for the Christian believers here in Colossae. That is, when a person comes to faith, when you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, and we have this covenantal relationship with God, that we recognize that God is God, that we've given ourselves to him, that we will grow towards maturity. But growth in faith, for some of us, might be viewed as an inconvenience. We'd rather have the preacher or church leaders leave us alone or do it for us. Uh, or we assume that just because I'm an older age chronologically, that I'm already mature in my faith. That's a faulty assumption. For some, we quite like it where we are. We, we enjoy being able to uh, hide in the group at church and, and even put up a front as to who we might actually be. But deep down inside, deep down inside, we know we want to be different. We know we want to be different than what we are. We want to grow. We want to mature. We want to change. But change can be in intimidating. It can be challenging. We might want to change, but only a little. <laughs> but you'll never be satisfied with your life in Jesus Christ 
by staying as an infant in the faith. You want to move forward to maturity. Only then will you be able to see change take place in your life as you lean into that. But it takes time, effort, and for many of you know, it takes even some pain. But this was Paul's goal, and we want it to be our goal too. Our goal is maturity. So what's this have to do with being wise or living wisely? Well, one of the issues that arises out of this is that it shows us that wise guys assess their spiritual maturity. Even as Paul was writing to this church in Colossae, he wanted them to see where they are, where they stood before God and with each other. The text tells us that wisdom is an integral part to living a mature Christian life. Paul specifically prays here in, in, in uh, verse 9 that all spiritual wisdom, that the, the Colossians would have all spiritual wisdom and understanding to live the Christian life. And then he shows later on in verse 28 how this uh, covenantal relationship has an impact on wisdom. That is, it plays a key role in encouraging them towards growth in Christ. This, this relationship with God, the, the God of the universe through Jesus Christ, is the only source of wisdom that we have to be able to live a life, to build a foundation on this relationship toward maturity in Christ. Biblical wisdom rightly applied and pursued puts a follower of Christ on the path towards spiritual maturity. But as you know, there are various levels of physical maturity, so there are also various levels of spiritual maturity. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a look at uh, what this looks like in terms of uh, spiritual maturity. Uh, one would be the, the infant. This is the level that is the least mature of, on the spiritual spectrum of spiritual maturity. He or she is a newborn Christian, someone who has recently come to faith in Jesus Christ, someone who's come to terms with what it means to fear God. And uh, uh, there's instruction that takes place, nourishment is taken in, and the, the believer uh, uh, begins to grow, begins to experience change. And um, all he or she can handle right now at this stage is, is milk, the basic teachings of the faith. However, the disappointing reality is that many believers who, uh, who uh, come to faith want to stay as an infant and not mature. We see this uh, in uh, Hebrews 5, 11, 14, where the writer of Hebrews warns about stalled growth we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, 
who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. There's not that capacity to, to distinguish good from evil. And uh, I don't think that's the case here for, for Old North, but I'm sorry to observe that many of the churches that I've gone to have large spiritual nurseries. They are filled with infant believers. People got saved, and then nothing has happened to their life after that. So we have the infant. And then there's the toddler. The toddler isn't much more advanced than the infant believer in spiritual maturity. He, she has moved from uh, crawling uh, in the faith to an ability to walk, but not all that well because toddlers toddle. <laughs> they don't have the discernment to, between right and, and wrong, but they still continue to grow in the faith. Again, the expectation is that the believer is not going to be stuck here, but grow out of the stage and become more and more mature. But instead, some folks do get stuck in their terrible twos. Yeah, they might be teachable, but yet they uh, only have a limit to the way in which they want to grow. Uh, they become self-absorbed or really aren't able to handle the, uh, the challenges of, of, of a mature life in Christ. Uh, the writer of Hebrews reminds the infant believers and toddlers among them, stating encouragingly, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God, instruction about baptism, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Jack was a, a fellow I knew in one of my churches. He came to faith in Jesus Christ as a, as a teenager. He, he moved from infancy to that of a, a toddler, and then he stayed there. He really didn't make the effort to develop in his Christian life, nor did the church challenge him toward that end as well. Uh, sadly, Jack was uh, elected to a responsible position in one of the boards of the, the, the church, and he wasn't ready for that and couldn't handle the responsibility. He crumpled under the weight of the role. Why? Because he wasn't spiritually mature enough to handle it. His dependent faith was weak and he toddled in his ability to, to grow personally. You have the, the infant, the toddler. Next is the child. A child believer uh, may be a young Christian who's moving from being a, a toddler to a growing inquisitive child. A characteristic of children is their acceptance and openness to ideas and others. And, and there's a vulnerability that Jesus praises in uh, the attitude and uh, stage of uh, being a child. Yet Paul, when he writes to the Corinthian church, he's... Um, He's, he's concerned about the way in which they conduct themselves with each other because he doesn't want them to act like children any longer. Paul writes, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. The child believer 
is young in the faith, one who doesn't possess the maturity of, a, of an adult. Paul notes that the person may not be mature spiritually, even though chronologically he or she might be more mature. I, I well remember a, a tense board meeting when uh, I, I was serving at my first church, <laughs> and we were discussing a, a marriage policy. And um, I remember uh, one of the members of the board, uh, Fred, an 83-year-old man, pointed his bony finger at me and in almost in a childish voice said, you'll marry anybody who comes to this church that asks you to marry them. Well, this was only the beginning of his temper tantrum. The rest of the board members uh, didn't agree with Fred, and for the remainder of the meeting, Fred sat in the chair with his arms folded and his face pouting. Infant, toddler, child, adolescent. The adolescent, this sense of, of adolescent rebelliousness that we have in our American culture isn't the lens through which I would like for us to understand what it means to be an adolescent in the faith. The Jewish culture considered adolescence to be at the beginning of becoming an adult. The Jewish understanding was that at the age of 13, boys became sons of the commandment, and they now were obligated to follow the uh, commandment. They were now challenged to make the faith their own and to live that faith, to take it seriously. This concept of being an adolescent in Jewish uh, understanding of faith is helpful for us as Christians. While the 20th, 21st century has uh, expanded uh, adolescence sometimes it well into the 20s, <laughs> which is a lot later than uh, the Jewish concept, uh, we can be instructed on what it means to see adolescence as an opportunity to see people take their faith seriously. It, it, at this point, it, you can see that there's a distinctive uh, growth spurt in somebody's life, that somebody really is moving forward in their faith in maturity. Mike was like that. He came to faith uh, in Christ at the age of 15. And, and as he came to faith, he uh, began to grow, move really through the infant and toddler and child stage rather quickly because he was being nurtured by the church, taking advantage of opportunities to grow, whether it is Bible studies or uh, discipleship relationships, uh, being instructed through uh, preaching, through Sunday school, through camp, all, all these different opportunities helped him to become more and more strong in his faith. And I can say today that he has matured even beyond that. His faith skyrocketed because he made it his own. Infant, a toddler, child, adolescent. The last Stage, the final stage here would be uh, a cluster of three different aspects of adulthood. Younger adult, middle-aged adult, older adult. 
these three stages show the different aspects of adulthood. And, and, and as you know, in, in chronological adulthood, some folks are, are, are developing in certain areas and developing in wisdom and in, in other aspects uh, at a more uh, rapid or slower pace, but they're still moving towards maturity as adults. Oh, isn't that what we want in, in the church? Isn't that what we want to do as we see our mission as a church? See, the characteristics of, of spiritual maturity here um, are reflected in uh, Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, for example. He outlines the qualifications for leadership in the church in Timothy, 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. And he says in Timothy uh, 3.1 that uh, leadership in the church is a noble task. And it appears to be, as you study the scriptures, that it is ex an expected role of mature believers. Uh, that's, that is, uh, elders and deacons weren't elected to their position and then were to reflect the characteristics of spiritual maturity. Instead, the expectation is that mature believers reflect these qualities in their lives now and then are able to serve in these capacities. Mature believers have a solid covenantal relationship with the Lord. They are growing in Christ. The result is wisdom. I, uh, I get a lot of uh, phone calls over, over the years. I've gotten a lot of phone calls over the years to be a reference for uh, people who are searching for pastors or pastors searching for churches. Uh, I distinctly remember two requests that I got separated by several years from search committees. And the search committees basically were asking me, can this person lead a church? Can, can this person show uh, what it means to uh, uh, draw people toward the gospel? Can this person teach well? Is this person mature? I had that phone conversation with uh, two different churches, and they were about a person whom you know, uh, your pastor, Nick. I was able to say to the church in Osterville that this young man who's taking this church for the, uh, and taking a church for the very first time is a wise guy. And the same with the conversation I had with the search committee here. Here's somebody at, at, at his age who de demonstrates uh, wisdom. He's probably one of the wisest young men I know. Infant, toddler, child, adolescent, adult. That's the continuum on which we want to be, isn't it? as we live our lives in Christ. These are the ways in which we want to develop. We have to be honest with ourselves about our own spiritual maturity. We can't ignore it. If you're a discerning Christian, you're gonna to want to know where you are on this continuum so that you can become attentive to growing in Christ. Chronological age doesn't necessarily match spiritual age. 
It's time for us to get serious about where we are and address it, confess it. See that discipleship towards maturity happens on all kinds of levels. It happens in a personal commitment of reaffirming your covenantal commitment to the Lord, scripture reading and, and personal feeding and uh, uh, reading podcasts, conferences, retreats, um, I- I- intentional discipleship, uh, which is finding disciples to invest in you, people who in this church can pour their lives into you or involvement in the life of the church or and involvement in the life of the church, taking advantage of discipleship that takes place through preaching, through teaching in small groups, Sunday school, even the Summer Institute opportunity. Wise guys assess their spiritual maturity. Well, wise believers understand that wisdom is found in growing maturity in Christ, but how can you tell if someone's mature? Uh, what are we to look for? What are the characteristics that we are to cultivate in our Christian lives, in our maturing lives. Because markers of maturity characterize the lives of wise guys. The scripture provides insight about these characteristics, markers that distinguish wise growing believers from others. And I'd like to show you a, a, a list of these. I don't want to overwhelm you, but I want you to see how there are from the Old Testament to the New Testament, uh, aspects that arise out of the pages of the scripture that show us different markers of, of maturity, whether it's uh, 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 observing the, the Ten Commandments um, or um, uh, a person who is wise, uh, somebody who is poor in spirit or, or mourns over sin or, or meekness or hungers and thirsts after righteousness, is merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, full of the spirit, a, a renewed mind, spiritually gifted. Uh, th- that is, they, they exhibit the, the fruit of the spirit, that they practice prayer, uh, that uh, They are above reproach, husband of of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to much wine, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, manages household well, not overbearing, not a, a recent convert, a good reputation with outsiders in the community, not pursuing dishonest gain, nothing against them, they are blameless, not a malicious talker, but temperate, trustworthy. Uh, perseverance uh, demonstrates godliness. Uh, these are just a, a smattering of some of the elements here that we see uh, in uh, the scripture that show these are markers of maturity. These characteristics, though, can't be seen as rules, but they are virtues that wise guys reflect in their lives. And as they do so, they reflect the character of Christ. If you see these markers as rules, you're going to become discouraged. But instead, we can consider the markers as, a, as goals and opportunities to be shaped into the image of Christ. The markers of maturity are like facets of a diamond. No one has them all, but they show and reflect who we are and what we look like in Christ. My mentor was a man by the name of Ken Swetlin, and he was a wise guy. He knew what it meant to recognize that God is God. 
He came to faith in Christ at a young age as a teenager, and he followed him all his life. And he reflected these markers that I'm talking about, many of them in his life, in his thinking, in his living. I'm grateful to say that his fingerprints are all over me. For over 40 years, the Lord used him to shape my life, and I'm forever grateful. These markers of maturity provide for us the, the contours of discipleship. And that's what Ken's influence did for me. We can't do this, the living of the Christian life on our own, the maturing toward wisdom on our own. We need each other as well. Yes, we want to make a commitment to, to the Lord, which is our responsibility, and we commit ourselves to grow, but we also need others to help us to mature to be the wise guy that God wants us to be. Maturity can be seen in biblical markers. Markers of maturity characterize the lives of wise guy. So what are we getting at? What are we getting at in the light of this passage from Colossians 1 and looking at it uh, from the different angles that we've explored? We're getting at this. A wise guy's goal is maturity in Christ. Our Christian lives don't stop at getting saved as if it's fire insurance to save us from the fire of hell. Uh, we are, as we determined last week, men and women who recognize that fearing God is the foundation for being a wise guy. And maturity is what moves us toward that. That's the next step. So where do you place yourself on this continuum of maturity? If you're a newly minted Christian or someone further along the way, be honest with yourself and with the Lord and do something about it. A wise guy's goal is maturity in Christ. And this really is essentially is the, the goal of Old North. Your vision statement says this. Our vision is to be a Christ-centered, multi-generational community of disciple-making disciples. <laughs> this church wants to see every one of you, every one of us, to grow in maturity in Christ, to be wise. Mature believers can help younger Christians see where they are and help move them and nurture them and love them towards that. That's what wise guys do. They mature in their faith. A wise person acknowledges who God is and then wisdom takes place by living a life that's built on that foundation. Will you determine to do that today? A wise guy's goal is maturity in Christ. Will you pray with me, please? Our gracious God, we thank you that we can trust you, look to you, and become more and more wise and mature in you. Would you work that in our lives as men and women and boys and girls in this place? To your name's honor and glory, we pray. Amen. <laughs>